Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Your host for the program is Bonnie D. Graham. This program will help set up your business for the future with topics centered on the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. We'll focus on case studies and leading practices designed to move you to the next level. Now, here is Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise Built to Evolve, presented by Deloitte. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here with another very exciting and timely topic. And I want to tell you all that Deloitte has been recognized by SAP as the number one global partner. Follow us on Twitter at Deloitte SAP. One word, there you go. So let me start off with my opening. This will be interesting to our business listeners all over the world. I don't care what business you're in, how long you've been in business, if you're a worker, if you're a creator. Listen up. Innovation never ends. We could just stop there and talk about that for an hour. Let's talk specifically. The flow of new technologies emanating from the makers of software and hardware is endless. From routine but important feature upgrades to highly focused apps to mind-bending business technology concepts that blur the line between, ooh, reality and science fiction. That's exciting. For any organization operating in any industry today, which is what I said at the start, this constant stream of innovation can be overwhelming. It's another layer of disruption on top of market forces, your customer expectations, which are changing all the time, internal pressures, global factors, and other challenges. We're going to help you find out how you can sort through all of the noise and identify solutions to help you get ahead of future trends so you can make an impact sooner and enable a truly built to evolve kinetic enterprise, which is what this is all about. So listen in today as Deloitte Transformation and Innovation Specialists and other invited thought leaders, we have one with us today on the panel, offer their insights on top technology trends, specific tools, opportunities for enterprise transformation, and some of the leading practices for assessing, prioritizing, and deploying new technologies. I feel like I'm introducing a new graduate school course here. There's so much we have to talk about. We will ask, I want you each to wave for the video here. Chip Klein, excellent. Deloitte is back so many times. Riz Ahmed from SAP Insider. He's our special other guest today. We have Sumia Chakravorty at Deloitte, and I'm going to ask them for their insights on the kinetic enterprise, future trends, cutting through the clutter of new enterprise technologies. Again, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Let's go around the table and meet our panelists today, see what they've been up to. They've all been on radio with me at one point or another in recent years. So, Chip Kleinhexel, I'm going to put you on full speaker view. Would you please do us the honor of reintroducing yourself to the audience? There might be 6.2 people in the world who don't remember you, Chip. Shame on them. Would you please tell them what you've been up to and what's your passion for this topic? Welcome, Chip. Bonnie, good to see you. So I'm Chip Kleinexel, a partner in our SAP practice. I serve clients in my role, but I also serve as our global CTO for our SAP practice. Um, and, and I'm passionate about bringing innovation to our clients through a number of different technologies, whether that be the core ERP, whether that be cloud platforms and technologies where we can do innovative apps, or whether it's through machine learning and AI and things of that nature. And it's how we can leverage that innovation to then bring value ultimately to them and ultimately drive to the kinetic enterprise. So really happy to be here. Chip, what's your take on the noise? Is there a lot of noise that companies really need to sort through, need to make their way through in terms of new technologies quickly? What's your, what's your overview on that? I think there are. You know, we've been talking about, we call it the chaos of how, is there's so many different things that clients are kind of get bogged down with because there's just a number of different technologies that they face, and not often do they know how to get through those, and how do they actually really focus on the why and the value that they can provide. Chaos of how. Is that a branded, is that trademark, that term? I don't know if it's branded. We can check. Deloitte, you need to need to do that right now. Riz, you can't have that. It was theirs first. Thank you very much, <laughs> Riz, Riz Ahmed. Riz Ahmed, welcome. You and I have worked together on some SAP Game Changer shows. So happy to see you. I've seen you on Zoom today. Riz, please do us the honor of introducing yourself to the Deloitte Kinetic Enterprise audience around the world. What do you do? Why are you here? What's your passion for the topic? Welcome, Riz. Thank you, Bonnie, and it's so great to be here. Um, I'm the Chief Research Officer here at SAP Insider. So I'm a market watcher. I talk to customers every single day. Um, I'm spending a lot more time over the last few months really focused on CIOs and technology leaders. Um, my passion is really talking to people, engaging, learning from others so that we can share those insights for the benefit of our greater community. 
And as we know in this topic, it's a great topic, um, there's so much change that's going on and it's only accelerating. I've been in this business for 20 plus years and the opportunity for change is, is never higher than it has ever been. Um, and that means good, but it also means some challenges for people. So I'm really excited to talk about that today. Thank you, Riz. And how noisy is the clutter? I asked that question to Chip. Is it is it bombarding the a leadership? Are they saying, what? Shiny new penny, this tech, that tech, what do we do? Is this a problem? It is because I, I think there's so much capability and partners, um, solution providers overall are just introducing functionality at a, a brand new pace, right? So there's so much to wade through, so much to walk through um, to, to make decisions. So I, I think it, it is a, a lot of noise right now. Thank you very much. Let's continue to cut through the noise, Sumya Chakravorty. It's been a while since I've met with you. So happy to have you here. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Sumya, reintroduce yourself to the. I think it's the same 6.2 people who don't remember Chip. I'm not sure if maybe it's another 6.2. Talk to those 6.2. Go ahead, Sumia. Welcome back. Thank you, Bonnie. Good to be on the show again. Clearly, I probably didn't do a good job. I was hoping it would be 6.1. There's at least (laughs) 0.1 million that would remember me from whatever little impact I made. So um, managing director, CIO fellow, and I serve as the SAP technology practice leader in Deloitte. I've served customers across various industry sectors, geographies, advising and providing solutions around business process management, information flow, and decision-making. My passion, I'm a big proponent of this notion of digital transformation and enjoy helping our clients break through the, you know, the cultural challenges, the organizational roadblocks, the customary risk-benefit conundrums, the, the web of technology choices. And I do this by assisting them with realistic business cases and the art of the possible with newer value-centric enterprise applications. I work with them to make, to take measured leaps of faith, if you will, to next-generation technologies. Measured leap of faith, uh, leaps of faith. I like that. How noisy is the clutter, Sumia, in your POV? What do you think? No kidding, Bonnie. If 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 I can, if I can make an equation of noise to the voice of God that we all recently heard coming March of 2020, sounds morbid, but it was that the freak show of the pandemic was something that caused a lot of disruption all over the world, and enterprises and businesses were also equally impacted by that. And so, yes, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of, you know, a lot of changes happening in the industry and uh, things that, you know, our clients, our customers, enterprises, businesses absolutely need assistance with. Thank you very much. Thanks all for the overview. Delighted to have you here. Now is the part of the show where I've asked each of our panelists to send me a quote from a fictional movie or TV character. We're not sure about one of them, but we'll work on it, Riz. <laughs> or, or a song lyric. And we have some real doozies today. Chip Kleinexel has sent a quote. Chip's been on so many times with me. He tells me the biggest challenge is finding a new quote each time. He has decided to quote, this is Spinal Tap, which is stylized as, and I can't tell you exactly where the dot, dot's over the end, a rocky Documentary by Martin D. Bergy, B-E-R-G-I, a 1984 American mockumentary. Uh, it follows the members of a fictional English heavy metal band, Spinal Tap, characterized as one of England's loudest bands, and a documentary filmmaker, Marty, who follows them on their American tour. Now, Chip sent me an entire scene, but I'm going to take just a piece of it here. So, Nigel Tufnell, who is played by Christopher Guest, the actor, is speaking to Marty DeBergy, played by Rob Reiner. Oh, there's only one and only Rob Reiner. And here's what Nigel says. You see, most blokes, you know, will be playing a 10. You're on 10 here, all the way up, all the way, all the way up. You're on 10 on your guitar. Where do you go from there? Where? And Marty says, I don't know. Nigel continues, nowhere, exactly. What we do is, if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Marty, put it up to 11. Nigel, 11, exactly, one louder. I hope I did that justice, Chip. I'm really punting here. I should have done it with you in a dialogue format, or we could have sang it or something. Chip, tell me, what does this have to do with our topic? Something in there does. Go ahead. Bonnie, you're right. I'm always searching for a new, good new quote. And that was, this is a fantastic movie. Always makes me laugh. Um, and, and, you know, how it relates to, to this today is, is if you think about, and Somi hit on it a little bit, as companies are coming out of, you know, how do we respond to the pandemic and how do they really work against helping their, their, their customers? How do they respond to talent shortages and how they, they resource and, and do what they need to do? 
Many of them are looking to figure out how do I get from 10 to 11? How do I turn that dial? And how do I do things through automation, through innovation, and leveraging all the technologies around them? Thank you very much. It is a good movie. I saw a part of it. And it's very, very interesting. I, I play drums. I think you know that, Chip. And oh, yeah. I'm, always, I'm always being told, don't play louder. <laughs> We're doing a Motown concert in my community this weekend. I'm a drummer for 25 songs, and they're miking my drums. Watch out. That's all I can say. <laughs> 10 to 11, and the sky is the limit. Yeah, awesome. see if the amp goes to 11, Bonnie. That's what oh, you need my to check. God. I'm going to mention Spinal Tap, although it's Motown theme. Riz has sent us a quote, Riz quote from... Um, Curb Your Enthusiasm, a 2000 plus, I think it was renewed again, American comedy TV series, Larry David, who is one of the co-creators of the show Seinfeld. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, like Seinfeld, revolves around the minutia of American daily social life. And here is a very serious quote from Larry David from one of the shows on Curb Your Enthusiasm, and it's 11 seasons. We'll just give you a pass on that, Riz. The quote is, when you're not concerned with succeeding you can work with complete freedom. Interesting. Riz, explain for us, please. Go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, one, I love that series because of what you said, the way he kind of observes the mundane uh, and shares that experience in, a, in just a way that no one else can die laughing every, you know, every time I see it. But, you know, I thought it's relevant to this because I think a lot of folks, particularly when it happens, they're talking about new technology. They're so concerned with succeeding, showing value, not getting yelled at by their boss, that sometimes that stifles innovation within an organization. And, you know, when I talk to some leaders about how are they integrating that within their company, they're saying, I'm making it okay to fail. I want them to experiment. I want them to, to, to fail and show us the lessons from that, but at least pick up some knowledge from having tried. And I think that's really important as we sift through all the possibilities when it comes to technology of making it okay to fail, giving people a little bit of room to experiment and grow, and that's going to be key to people's success. Thank you very much. And that's what we're looking for. That's why we're here is to help our listeners be successful in their businesses and everything else. So thank you very much. Let's go to Sumya Chakravarti's quote. This is from Solomon Northrup, who wrote a who wrote a, a memoir, 1853 Slave Memoir, memoir 12 Years a Slave, and he's played in the movie 12 Years a Slave by Chiwetel Ojiofor. Hope I pronounced that right. The movie is a 2013 biographical period drama film, and Sumia sent me the clip. I appreciate that very much. It was directed by Steve McQueen. Very interesting. It's uh, Solomon Northrup, a New York State-born free African-American man who was kidnapped in Washington, D.C. by two con men in 1841 and sold into slavery. I'll leave it there. Here is the quote. It's serious, but I know Sumia will relate it to our topic very, very beautifully. I don't want to survive. I want to live. I got goosebumps on that. Sumia, talk to us. Bonnie, I mean, this quote can, you know, quite simply be interpreted as, I don't want to settle for less. I want more. Not just bare necessities, but the promises and pleasures of comforts and luxuries. Beyond just physical and material ones, in one analogy I like to draw is, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that pyramid, mm-hmm. where at the bottom you've got your physiological needs, such food, clothing, shelter, and you go up, you have safety of self-employment, health, and then you move further up, and eventually you have self-esteem and self-actualization. Now, in terms of relevance to today's business world, in the ever-changing, ever-disruptive world of business, this is very, very relevant. You know, the comforts and privileges of yesterday are essential non-negotiables of today. And if you don't act or respond to this movement of change, desirably at its fast pace, you will not progress, you will not grow, you will not continue to live. No one, and no one really cares about table stakes these days. I and mean, things like, you know, customer satisfaction metrics, reduction in IT service incidents, great uptime and performance. These are all, you know, table stakes. People expect that to be. What people really, really care about are things like, strategic competitive advantage, customer delight, not just satisfaction, mm-hmm. you know, developing new customer segments, introducing new products, and not to mention the ability to bounce back and not just res- bounce back to where you were in the, in the face of a pandemic or in the face of a major disruption, but continue to grow and thrive beyond that bouncing back point. In other words, you know, not really settle for a built-to-last solution or a platform or a foundation, but a built-to-evolve that allows you to continuously do real-time course corrections. 
Nicely done. You wove the title of the show into your quote explanation. Thank you very much, Sumi. Appreciate that. Now we're going to do our deep dive into our very serious topic here. And if you just tuned in, this is the Kinetic Enterprise Built to Evolve, presented, of course, by Deloitte. The topic today is future trends, cutting through the clutter I think that's a tongue twister, cutting through the clutter of new enterprise technologies and everything that that entails. I've got with me today Chip Klein-Hexel at Deloitte, Riz Ahmed at SAP Insider, and Sumia Chakravorty also at Deloitte. So let's move on. Chip, I'm looking at your statement number one you sent me. Let me read it, and then I'd like to ask you to expand it or unpack it, as they say on the news, and then we'll invite Riz to comment. Riz, I'm going to give you the privilege of agreeing or disagreeing. Don't be afraid to disagree with Chip. He's really a nice guy. And then Sumia, I'll ask you to agree or disagree with Chip and or with Riz. You've got twice as much content there. So here's what Chip told me. He says, business strategy and IT strategy. What used to be two separate things are becoming more and more intertwined. I'm going to do the intertwined as technology platforms are supporting both the definition and the execution of business strategy, e.g. analytics, automation, and AI. That is a packed statement. Chip, unravel it for us, please. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the ways of the past, Oftentimes, you'd have a VP of strategy or a COO defining the strategy for the overall business, and then you'd have a CIO defining their own IT strategy. And and what we're seeing is that really converge, right? Because business and technology are so intertwined just in business as usual that if you don't have the tech component a part of that, ultimately, you can get stifled or or become challenged in your execution against it. But then not only that, It's also interesting in terms of the development of the strategy. What we're seeing is that strategists are actually using strategic technology platforms, using advanced analytics, automation, et cetera, to be able to simplify and really accelerate the, the, the development of the strategy, not only just the execution, and trying to make it in a way where no longer is it, you know, a one time, do it, time consuming effort, but how do you actually make the strategy development be continuous? and constantly dynamic and changing. Thank you very much. Good start for a conversation starter. Riz Ahmed, you're up. Agree or disagree with Mr. Klein-Hexel? Go ahead. I agree. I agree. And and the caveat that I put in there is that many companies are closer to being there than others. I think there's a lot of folks that are far away from that, that vision. But it is so important. And again, having been in this industry for such a long time, you saw there were clearly two separate camps in, in the beginning, right? IT and business. IT drove when everything was deemed technology, it got thrown over the wall to IT and, and you did it. Um, and in our area for SAP, that happens all the time, right? Where you look at an upgrade, oh, that's an upgrade, you throw it over the wall. But now those things are becoming intertwined. And I think because just technology is so available and people understand it. So executives know what analytics is. They know what AI is. They have an experience, a social experience on their mobile doing it so they can demand it as well and they can interpret it. So I think that's really requiring these two camps to come together to build business cases and to understand. But to my point, I don't think many companies are doing that well right now. And they're struggling with that aspect. And, you know, you talk to some companies that are building sort of innovation centers within the organization and really institutionalizing it. I think those are the folks that are having the best, but, but I am in the best go of it. But other than that, I think it's a, a critical um, objective for people to come together on. Thank you. And if it was easy, we wouldn't have to be here talking about it, right? It's true. It's true. We, it wouldn't be a topic. Wouldn't be a topic. We wouldn't talk about it. So let's go to Sumia. Agree or disagree with Chip and or with Riz. You're up. Absolutely, I agree, Bonnie. I mean, as we just heard Riz and Chip mention, right? I mean, you need tech-savvy C-business, C-suite business folks, and you need business-savvy tech leaders, right? And the playbook is changing from who owns the best technology to who uses technology the best, right? I mean, CIOs are being invited by CEOs constantly in, you know, in their significant role in helping develop and foster business strategy by leveraging technology and innovation. A few statistics, right? I mean, 19, 2016, 55% of CIO tech leaders were trusted, identified as trusted oper- operators. 2018, two years later, 65% of them were business co-creators. 2020, as of last year, 
70 to 75 percent of CIOs are viewed as change instigators. And the change over here is not necessarily just within the closed boundaries of their IT departments, but this is obviously referring to the entire enterprise and business. You know, in a recent sort of Deloitte Wall Street Journal in intelligence survey, 40 percent of CEOs said that their CIO or tech leader will be the key driver of business strategy, more than the CFO, COO, and CMO combined. So absolutely vehemently agree with the with the with the motion over here. Chip and Riz have said it. I absolutely agree. This no better time than now for business strategy and IT strategy to come together, feeding each other for a better tomorrow. Thank you very much. Chip, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say something that's that's really interesting because if you think about it, you know, it wasn't that long ago where we were actually pushing with with business leaders to get the CIO a seat at the table when it came to yeah. being a part of the strategy definition. Now, not only do they have a seat at the table, they're one of the first people looked at to say, what's the strategy and what should we do, right? It's, 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 it's changed significantly. Totally. Well, evolution is good and evolving is good, and that's also why we're here. Riz, I'm looking at your statement number two. This is interesting. We need to talk about this. You say mindset. Mindset is as critical a skill set as technology and knowledge when it comes to innovation, and that's why it's important. I mixed up your words a little bit here, but forgive me. But if you do not have the right mindset and culture in place, innovation will fail. I'm going to stop there and let you take it from here. Riz, go ahead. Yeah. No, and it goes back to some of the earlier conversations we were having. I think both business and IT, we're all digesting so much change, right? You talk about the pandemic, remote working, um, just the business sort of landscape is, is different. But then you throw on top of that all of these technologies that can be evaluated and implemented. Um, there, there's a lot there. So it's not just about having the skills and understanding how to develop and integrate applications but you have to have a mindset to say, I'm one, I'm willing to change, right? And I know a lot of the leaders I talk to battle that within their company, but also that it's an ongoing mindset, right? It's not just, okay, there's just one project. We're convincing everybody that's a good project. And, and once we do that and it's complete, it's done. No, innovation has to be constant, right? And if people aren't thinking in those terms, and this is everybody, not just leaders, but everybody throughout the organization, if they're not thinking in those terms, embracing that change and having that mindset of how we can do it better. A lot of these projects may see first year success or first month success, but you're not going to see long-term change, long-term innovation. And it, that has to match the, the, the upgrade capabilities and how constant the flux of new technologies is. There, there has to be a match there. Thank you. Hand in hand. Let's go around the table. Sumia, right this second, you're sitting virtually right next to Mr. Ahmed. So why don't you join in, agree or disagree? Sumia? I'm sitting close, but I completely disagree with his motion. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I have your attention. No, um, absolutely. I mean, not only should it be a proactive you know, growth mindset, as Riz just mentioned, relative to your ability and openness to take on you know, changes. It's also the reactive one. Case in point, again, going back to the pandemic, and I apologize for getting this morbid sort of event as an example, but it's, I think, a very relevant sort of, you know, uh, example to what, what, what companies and enterprises are going through, right? What used to be a given up until recently is, is, is changing. You know, I mean, with the pandemic, we had the need for you know, hand sanitizers, ventilators, you know, personal protective equipments, et cetera, at a, at, a, at a scale that, you know, if we could, we would like to, you know, cater to the 7.5 billion people in the world, right? So as a result, companies scrambled to see how best, corporations scrambled to see how best we can respond to it. So it was really the openness and the reactiveness of the, you know, the mindset and the creativity that caused several very, um, you know, significant things that happen. For example, Dyson. Dyson is a, you know, as you know, it's a vacuum cleaner company, also makes air purifiers, etc. And what they did was made changes to their manufacturing processes and their, you know, and their, and their, uh, you know, entire supply chain, etc. And in the, uh, during pandemic, they created up to thousands and thousands of ventilators using the technology that they had. Similarly, some of the alcoholic beverages company you know, repurposed the creation of alcohol, if you will, to hand sanitizers. To me, these are great examples 
of where the openness of your mind allows you to think outside the box, react to things that are, you know, the, the, the sort of the burning needs of the moment, and then, you know, produce things that are going to actually help not only the industry, not only their enterprise or business, but the humankind as such. So things like creative culture, analytic culture, um, you know, uh, inclusiveness, collaboration, you know, this whole notion of DE&I that we hear about, a diversity, include, it's very important. It's important that you get these different mindsets together rather than just have, you know, the ivory folks sitting at the top of the ivory tower making decisions for, for their industry. So absolutely agree. Thank you very much. Chip, join us. Agree or disagree, either or both, Riz and or Sumya. Go ahead. Agree with both. And, you know, to add to it, it goes back to a little bit of what Riz said in his intro around not only is it culture of creativity and collaboration, but it's a culture of the ability to fail, right? And, you know, if you think about even when faced with the pandemic, a bunch of companies had to go look to adopt or evolve or do different things. They didn't really have an option. So there was no kind of worry about failing. It's we just got to go and see what we can do with this, right? And what we see is, you know, Riz said it well, when it comes to innovation and the ability to take on new technologies, things that companies haven't done before, if you don't give room to fail, you get stifled and you can get halted. And providing that room to grow and learn and then be able to move the needle, maybe to 11, like in Spinal Tap, right? Continue to move that dial is extremely important. So great point, Riz, and, and Sonia as well. Riz, anything you want to add before we move on? Go ahead. Yeah, just a, just a couple of things. Somebody brought this up, which was the, the DE&I initiative. And, and I couldn't agree more with that. You know, I've talked, I, I interviewed a, um, a female CIO the other day, and she talked about how that was critical because they were in an energy sector, which was very male dominated. And by adding diversity, not just from gender, but from perspective, from, you know, geography and ethnicity, they were able to get a real new perspective on some of their key problems that they've been looking at the same for years. And by gathering these diverse perspectives and opinions, they were able to build a culture um, of, of, of change you know, and, and innovation. So I think that, that that was a great point. Thank you very much. All great points. Good around the table. Let's go to Sumia. I'm looking at statement number three. This intrigues me because I did a show on this topic on a different different series of mine a few weeks ago. Zero trust, Sumia says. Never just trust. Always verify. Conventional castle and moat cybersecurity models relying on secure network perimeters are no longer effective. Zero trust secures the new perimeter. So we're talking about innovation and new technologies. Sumia, enlighten us, please. Go ahead. Sure, Bonnie. I mean, sophisticated cyber attacks, shifting enterprise environments have pretty much undermined the traditional and rather limited, you know, castle and moat approach, if you will, to cybersecurity. You know, security today is really in the age of a porous perimeter, not a well, you know, well-fenced, a formidable you know, solid boundary-based uh, perimeter for uh, security as we've had in the recent past. So this whole notion of zero trust is rooted in the concept that modern enterprise environments necessitate a different approach to security. There's no longer a defined perimeter, like I said, where every user, workload, device, data, app, et cetera, is all sitting within, you know, our proactive, pre-configured security and, uh, you know, um, basically our security parameters, right? Today, we need to have things that are context-specific, location-specific. Here I am talking to you when I'm from my home office. I could be wrapping, mm-hmm. you know, shutting down after this, going to the coffee shop and working off of that, or going mm-hmm. working from my, from my company. So the context, even if the device and the end user is the same, changes. And with respect to that, it is very important that we... Uh, invest significant effort and planning, including addressing foundational cybersecurity issues to to automate manual processes and come up with a a framework and architecture that essentially prompts us to say, never trust, always verify each and every point of contact. Because this whole canvas of attack surfaces, like I mentioned to you, has expanded and there are no boundaries, right? And if you think about it, as much as you prepare to fend off or, 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 or basically, 
you know, uh, prevent cyber attacks from happening. And sure enough, we have, you know, we, we, we have claims that, you know, 99.999% security has been assured or whatever. It's that one event of a hack or a cyber attack that can totally, you know, break everything that you've built so solidly. So it's very important that, you know, we, we, we come up with a very robust sort of a framework, right? And just to share with you some statistics over here done by this op Opus and Poneman Institute, 59% of companies experienced a third-party data breach, yet only 16% said they effectively mitigate third-party risks, mm. right? So at the end of the day, it's important that you come up with a solid zero-trust framework. And one of the things that helps is to sort of build a framework which is built around these five foundational pillars, basically micro-segmenting them, giving situational awareness around users, around workloads, around data, around networks, and around devices. Break these down into individual manageable units to contain breaches and wrap security controls at the lowest level possible, supported by, of course, telemetry and analytics and automation and orchestration across all the pillars. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Let's go around the table. That was a good opening for a new conversation. Chip Klein-Hexel, right now you're sitting next to Sumia. You're up. Agree or disagree? I agree. And it's interesting, right? My, my background is not in cybersecurity, so I don't go deep like Sumia. I'm, I'm listening and intrigued is what Sumia is saying. So, but, but I find that, you know, if you think about it in principle, it makes sense, right? With, with companies looking to evolve their own technology landscape so that they can manage disruption and, and, and be agile. With that, their, their approach to cybersecurity needs to evolve. Because if you don't, you're going to create this landscape, as Somia said, is porous and, can, and is susceptible to breaches. And so with all these different entry points, inputs, applications that are a part of it, not being able or not focusing on and treating each of them as individual and having, you know, security and restrictions and least in principle of least privilege all applied to each of them, you're susceptible, right? Whereas used to be you focused on your network, you focused on your, your ERP, but the tech stack has changed. And so a cybersecurity approach has to change too. I love this. I mean, I hadn't given it much thought. And we have now, thank you very much, Riz Ahmed, join us. What do you think? What's your thought on the thought? No, just to build on that, uh, you know, I agree. Um, you know, one of my researchers asked me to read something this morning, and it was about integration. He's been doing all this uh, research on integration. And to, to the point somebody's making, you know, we compared year over year, and the number of interfaces just to, into something as core as ERP is increasing every single year. And what's driving it? A lot of cloud, a lot of cloud applications, a lot of mobile applications. So to the point of, you know, just something like SAP and core ERP is being integrated and accessed like never before. And to throw on top of that, the bad actors internally and externally, we data breaches are in the news all the time, T-Mobile, you know, what have you. So there's more and more people that are trying to get at these crown jewels. So yes, you cannot, you know, all of these core systems back to the mainframe, AS400 days, they did have that castle and moat approach. And now that you can access on any device, and, and this is the other thing, a lot of the default settings, as you go down the stacks, it's easier and easier to break in. So to his point, if you're not thinking at device level, at application level, at transaction level, somewhere along the line, there's going to be an opening. And these folks are spending a lot of time studying that. They're going to be broken. So you really do have to take a, a, a very different approach. And the last thing I'll say is, it's changing the way security organizations are being built and how they're evolving. Like we're seeing, you know, more of GRC, governance, risk and compliance being integrated um, into security. You're seeing mobile development, you know, API, all of the people that run those have to, there's got to be a, a representation of those people on the security team because it's not enough to have a general understanding of what can be broken into and whatnot. You have to have a deep understanding. And the only way to do that is to have that expertise as part of your team. Thank you very much. Sumia, great conversation starter. Anything you'd like to say back to your colleagues on the panel? No, I think, you know, I think we've said it all, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, very vulnerable space we are in. And uh, like I said, one small break 
in spite of all the housekeeping and homework and preparation that you've done can just dismantle everything i mean just in today's news you've had you know uh, various uh, tech company uh, leaders commit to billions of dollars in in further found you know harnessing and uh, solidifying our, um, our 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 infrastructure to take on some of these uh, cybersecurity hacks that we've attacks that we've seen recently uh, including the one called you know what was it the solar winds or whatever so yes absolutely agree Thank you very much. Let's go for round two on statements. Let's see how far we get. We've got about oh, 18 minutes left. Chip Klein-Hexel, I'm looking at your statement number three. With a significant focus by many on artificial intelligence, which we familiarly call AI, and machine learning, ML, the ability to industrialize is key. Leveraging, and you have to explain this to me, ML ops, concepts and methodology are integral so that standardized concepts for AI models are driven, supporting the ability to scale versus creating silos. I haven't heard the word silos in a while. Chip, unpack for us, please. Yeah, so so Bonnie, what we mean by MLOps is, is making sure there's actual a structured operating model for the creation and development of AI and machine learning application and to technology. And the reason being is, is if you think about it, right? First, what companies are starting to see and the trend we're seeing is that companies are getting a little bit hamstrung because as they've dove into ML and AI, it can be a bit artisanal. It can be everybody wants to build something bespoke and you don't want to lose that kind of artisanal nature of being able to weave things together and do so. But at the same time, it impacts their ability to move at speed. So it's how do you have an operating model for machine learning similar to operating models that have been created for other development, app development, right? To be able to leverage standardized processes and leverage things that you've already created versus always having to be bespoke. Thank you. I didn't know what the word bespoke was until a couple of years ago. I was working for another, uh, on a software project for another big company, a phone vendor actually. And uh, somebody told me they had a bespoke suit and I had to look it up and figure out what it was. So now it's very popular. Let's go around the table. Riz, you're sitting right next to Chip right at this moment in virtual time. What do you have to say? Go ahead. This is one of my favorite topics. I love, you know, AI and I've been talking a lot and, and I would agree. I mean, I think, and, and I don't think it's any different for a lot of the new technologies that you want to scale. Um, Chip is absolutely right. There's a difference between that pilot project and proving value than really scaling it to the organization, right? And some of the, the, the key things that I, I've seen both work and not work with is one, it's, it's about skill sets, right? I talked to one you know, leader who built their first AI and it went fantastic. And I was like, so what's next? I mean, what's stopping you from just doing? He goes, we don't have the skill set or processes yet. He goes, we leaned heavily on our partners, right? And so I think that's one of those things. You have great partners like Deloitte um, that can come. It's the, it's the teach you how to fish. You know, you'll eat for a year if you just hand them in a fish. It's that mentality. It's that attitude. So if you leverage your partners to help teach you how to fish, teach you how to scale these technologies, you'll be a lot better off. And as Chip said, there's a lot of intricacies to building an operating model around, particularly AI. There's, you know, the the data science, there's the application development, there's UI, there's, uh, you know, understanding, do you have the right data to to test and build your models? There's all kinds of skills that most organizations don't have as scale. So how do they build those while relying on partners, working with partners, but yet ingesting that knowledge and building the processes and organization to, to produce it long-term. I think it's, it, it's a really interesting topic. Thank you. Love the quote about if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. If you teach him to fish, he will not be hungry for a lifetime. I think it's actually a Bible verse. I looked it up, Riz. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Sumia, join us. Agree or disagree? I wonder where you're going to go on that one, Sumia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, I absolutely agree. And just to play on sort of the semantics of the word ML ops, you know, the ops mm-hmm. piece of it, operationalizing it, essentially implies industrializing it. And as Riz and Chip just mentioned, you know, we are beyond the times when ML, AI, machine learning, AI, et cetera, were, you know, specifically meant for folks and white coats working in a lab, coming up with, you know, the possibilities of way into the distant future. It has been industrialized now. And ML ops specifically encourages experimentation and rapid delivery. 
rapid development, rapid implementation of projects, helping the enterprise industrialize machine learning. Ultimately, it can help drive business value by improving the quality of model production and making it easier to monitor and maintain production models. Again, bringing in automated you know, um, efficiencies into your processes. And through MLOps, organization can more effectively standardize processes to help align AI artificial intelligent models with evolving business and customer data. Thank so, you very much. Yep, go ahead. I'm just saying, so, 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 so digital business innovation offerings, which is sort of the central context of our conversation over here, powered by machine learning and other such advanced industrialized technologies enabled by you know, business technology platform that SAP has, for example, uh, providing cognitive solutions, et cetera, have a, are making a big, big impact and, and a welcome change in, in the enterprise today. Thank you. Chip, anything to say back? Uh, love the comments by both Riz and Sumya. You know, if you think about it, it's that shift from those pilots that many companies dove into, found success and found value in small bits and pieces of their organization, industrializing and creating an operating model that can then scale ML and AI across their business and at pace, right? Getting away from people who are doing it just through personal heroics because they're the person who was tapped to do it first, but actually having an operating model to support it and drive it forward. Thank you very much. Let's move on. We have time maybe for two more statements. Riz Ahmed, I'm looking at statement number one. I like this one the second I saw it. I should have done it first, but here we are. You say, focus on the pain. It's where your priorities truly lie. One way to figure out what technology and innovation you should be focusing on is to start with your core pain points. I'm going to stop there and let you take it. Riz, explain, unpack. Go ahead. it, It sounds so simple and you'd be like, duh, everybody should do that. But the more and more people that I talk to, they get enamored with the technology. They look at the pressure of the board saying, we want to see you implement this. And then what they do is they start looking at other people's case studies, which is a great place to start. And they try to copy that. They try to copy how other people are doing it when they're not really looking at what their core pains are. And the other thing that stops this is something that Chip started this conversation with which is this disconnect between IT and business, right? So a lot of IT folks are coming up with their own pilots on their own. They're not really learning from the business and sitting down and saying, hey, what are your five strategic priorities? Finance, accounting, where are you suffering the most pain? What, what is it that you're, you're not doing and that you need? And by doing that, you can actually deliver something that's of value. Now, this it's a lot more complicated than that, right? Because not all pains are built the same, right? So you want to first focus on something that you can achieve. Don't don't build a scope on your first project that focus on the biggest pain of the company that's going to take you a year and a half to solve, right? Mm-hmm. So there's got to be some caveat and some analysis within that. But if you look hard enough, you will find the right pilot, you will find the right starting point. And guess what? If you do it well, you have an automatic champion right there within the business that will help work with you on that first initial project and will help you spread sort of the the goodness from that and and get the business on board for future projects. Automatic champion. I like that. Rah, rah. Let's move around the table. Sumya, you're sitting next virtually to Riz right now. What do you think? I agree. It's it's, It's a very classic thing that we see in the market where, you know, Obviously, different enterprises and businesses are aligned in their respective sectors, and it's easy for us to come in and say, "Hey, you belong, let's say, to the you know the aerospace and defense sector. You belong to the health, healthcare, and uh, life sciences space. So clearly, what what worked for one company should work for for you." But that's not true, right? I mean, sure enough, you know, there's about forty to fifty percent of their business models and business processes that are fairly foundational, fundamental, but then there are ones that are core just to them. And then there are ones that are strategic Mm -hmm. to them. And the ones that are strategic are very unique. And the business leaders need to think of solutions, both business and IT together, that are tailored to address their specific pain points and not just, you know, rely on, let's say, a one-size-fits-all kind of a thing. That's one thing. And then going back to what I think you would also resonated with that, the the, the sort of the tagline, the chaos of how, right? Mm -hmm. There's just so many options when it comes options and thoughts and considerations and questions Mm -hmm. that come to your mind. 
when you want to embark upon, let's say, an initiative to address your pain point, who do I partner with? Who do I work with? What sort of a hyperscaler do I go with? What sort of, we just spoke about it, ML, AI, automation sort of things do I need to bring in? How do I run my organization? Do I build internal capabilities? Do I outsource? And so there's just a plethora of things. And so it is important that we, one, recognize, as they say, the first step to uh, solving a problem is to recognize that I have a problem. Over here, I would say problem equals pain point. And two, come up with a you know, come up with a pragmatic, measurable, reasonably cost and expensive sort of an approach that helps you uh, address the pain points. Thank you, Sumia. Chip, you're next. Why don't you join us? Agree or disagree with either or both? Agree. Focus on the pain. I love it. Riz, I'm going to use that if you don't mind. Um, (laughs) I think, you know, companies can often get caught up in, and Riz, you alluded to this, looking to see what are others doing, what are others doing in the industry, and they'll look there first before they look inward. And I think you're spot on. Look inward, figure out what your pain points are. Then if you want to, and it's still absolutely the right thing to do, look to see what other companies have done to address that, right? But you have to understand your pain points first. Spot on. Really like it. Thank you very much. Riz, you want to comment back to them? I want to squeeze in one more topic from Sumia next, but go ahead, Riz. Yeah, no, just the, the last thing. I, I do think it is, and, and Chip just reinforced that, it is, is about, I'm not saying don't look at what other people are doing. You look at it to get you ideas of what you is possible and what you can do on your own. So use it as a guidepost, but not as a, a necessarily map, end-to-end map for you. Isn't that called being inspired by what other people are doing? That's right. That's Just right. O- open those open those windows and doors and let the light in and see what's what's out there and then do what's best for you. Thank you, Riz. Good topic. Sumia, we have just a couple minutes left. Let's see if we can at least get you to unpack this for us. Your statement number two says, providing a lasting foundation for innovation and competitive advantage will require a creative, forward-looking approach to core modernization. Just give me a, a 60 to 90 second overview and then we'll just do a quick agree or disagree disagree. Go ahead, Sumia. Sure, Bonnie. So this is basically, you know, business executives having to make a very critical strategic decision. Do I procrastinate on my decision for neurotechnologies or do I invest in proactive modernization right away, right? And there are benefits and, you know, risks to both. Uh, Investing in your proactive modernization will, will mean that you need to address all the baggage that you have developed in your systems over the years. We call them technical debt, business process technical debt, application technical debt, and and also how do you get, how do you come up with a scalable platform that allows you and positions you to be nimble going forward and scalable. So this whole notion of taking an approach to a core modernization and the associated business case that goes with it has changed over the years as to what we are basically doing in the market today. Thank you very much. Quick around the table, one minute each. Uh, let's see. Chip, you're next to Sumia. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, when you think about core modernization, there's a bunch of companies prior to the pandemic who were thinking about it and talking about it. We're now seeing it in action. And we're seeing it in action for, for what Sumia said is they're realizing, companies are realizing that technical debt is hampering them and halting them from being able to move at the speed they want to respond to disruption. And so the pandemic oftentimes showed a lot of companies that, and they're realizing we can't have that again. And it doesn't take just a pandemic to halt things like supply chain. Look at the Suez Canal and what happened there, right? And so everybody's trying to figure out, well, how do I make sure I have a core that can respond? And if I need to change it, I can do it fast. And the realization is, is the technical debt that's been created over time is slowing them down. So how do you get rid of that? Right? And how do we modernize it? Leveraging cloud platforms to be able to support it and move things to the appropriate space where you can be much more nimble and much faster. And we can talk about cloud debt clutter. Can we say that? Tech debt clutter. That's part of what we're talking about getting cl- mm-hmm. cutting through the noise and the clutter of new technologies. Riz, what do you think? I would go even a step further. If they do not address this, they will not be competitive. I don't think an organization Mm -hmm. in in, in the same, without addressing core master data, core ERP, all of this customization, all this out-of-date hardware and software, if you do not address that in today's world, you will not be competitive. 
So I, I think it has to be a pro. And, and, and again, I'm seeing more and more people realize this. Some are still hampered by, you know, the, their financial situation. They may not be the, the lack mm-hmm. of budget. But if you do not do this, if you do not address this situation, you will be behind on all, on all levels. There we go. Laggard and maybe don't do and don't survive. And that was one of our, our quotes about, I don't want to survive, right, Sumia? I want to live. Companies yeah. want to live. We're going to get very, very quickly. I got 45 seconds for each of you. This is Chip's second most favorite part of the show. He loves the quotes. And he loves the predictions. This is crystal ball prediction round. Just one sentence, two sentences max, gentlemen. We've got three minutes left. We have to close. And it's it's been a wonderful conversation. If we met again, let's say in one year from now, at the end of late summer 2022, what would we be saying about this topic? Innovation, never ending, technology clutter, cutting through the noise, going through the pain points, uh, getting rid of silos, being prepared, creative approach, getting people on board, championing new ideas. I think I've covered a few of them. Chip, where would BB? One sentence. Go ahead. It's interesting, right? We've talked a ton about the clutter of the technologies that face companies. The part, though, that companies are also being challenged with right now is hiring and talent and, and, and managing across a resource shortage, right? And so I think what we're going to see is companies are going to continue to leverage tools like intelligent automation, integration, you know, RPA automation to not only aid their staff so people can do more, but also supplement staff that they're not able to obtain, right? And so I think that is something we're going to continue to see and see even further uh, in the future. Good prediction. It was about nine sentences, but it fit into 90 seconds. Riz, I got 60 seconds for you. Be good. Go ahead. I will. He he took my topic exactly. I'll put a different (laughs) spin on it, though. It's going to be your biggest inhibitor to to growing and taking advantage of this technology. And so if you don't have a machine for hiring, retaining people, keeping your employees engaged, that's going to be just as important as anything else you do to, to, to innovate. All comes down to people, right? The management of the most important capital. Sumia, finish us up. One prediction. Mine is more on uh, sort of a next horizon technology, if you will, and it's mm-hmm. quantum computing. I'd be lying to you if I said I understood it fully. However, it's a new computing paradigm that's going to radically and revolutionarily change our ability to to compute, essentially, right? Um, to do factoring of numbers, encryption, decryption. The possibilities and use cases are enormous, even beyond what we can uh, easily comprehend today. But that is something that I'm very, very passionate about. Thank you very much. Great conversation. I want to thank our very special guest, Chip Klein. Hexel, come back anytime. Riz Ahmed, wonderful to see you and happy you could join us. Sumya Chakravorty at Deloitte also. Thank you. Shout out to Helen Tomas, who's been sponsoring the series for a couple of years. Hasmin Balianos is with us in the background. She's been our showrunner for many, many months, doing a great job. And we have Maria Rechtenwald also with us. And a thank you to our engineer today, Matt at Voice America, the business channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off for Deloitte, the Kinetic Enterprise. We'll see you again soon. Next time, everybody wave. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Be sure to join host Bonnie D. Graham next Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Deloitte can help you reimagine everything in order to get the most out of your SAP investments and position your business for tomorrow's demands. Learn more at Deloitte.com SAP. This program is copyright Deloitte Development, LLC. All rights reserved.